Nikki Jess. Um, is that, can you all hear me? It's not a big room, so I assume you can. But yeah, good evening. Um, just like to extend my welcome. Same lady to Jess. Thank you, thank you for coming back to week two. Um, thank you for making it through the snow and for being here. Um, I was just really excited by Josh's little rallying call there. For us all to engage, I was like just getting really excited. Like, yeah, this is, this is why we gather together. This is why we do what we do. This is why we look at the Bible together, because it's good stuff. And we want to engage with the living Jesus um, as, we, as we read his word together. So thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, as Jess said, for those of you who haven't met, my name is Wesley. And um, I'm a member of the congregation here. I co-lead a connect group. A few of my team are here. Um, and um, so last week we had Jess leading us through the first session of the um, Bible track. And she was looking at the text from Mark 11 as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Um, and for those of you who are there, you'll remember that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey and then he went and cleared out the temple um, and to make it a place for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And this week, um, we're going to be continuing um, this series as we look at Jesus' journey to the cross in Jerusalem. Um, and we're going to be founding our words um, in, the, in Mark, second half of Mark 14. Um, I'll get you to turn there in a second. Um, but these, these six sessions that we're doing um, are based on the words of um, a book by Tim Keller, um, who's the author of The Way of Wisdom, that we're also plugging. Um, but this book's called King's Cross, and that's the book that sort of these sessions have been based on. And I finally got around to reading this um, in preparation for this course um, after many years of being encouraged by friends to read it, and I can honestly really highly recommend it. It's a really good book. Um, it's, he, uh, Keller writes with um, an incredible amount of wisdom and insight. Um, he's an extremely wise man, but yet he writes, he, he's not pretentious, um, it's really simple, um, it's really engaging, and he presents everything with just a really, <coughs> really strong connection to the text, and you can always sort of track exactly where he's going and why he's saying what he's saying. Um, so I really, really recommend it. If you can find yourself a copy, um, it's been out for a few years, so you should be able to find it. I found mine in a second hand bookshop, so on the cheap. Happy days. Um, so the passage we're looking at um, this evening is, um, so if you want to turn there now, we're looking at the second half. You can grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, can I really recommend you grab a Bible? It's gone really bad. I've got a couple of, couple of It's going to really help to... I'm going to have the words up on the screen. Um, they're going to be, they're, some sections are going to be quite small, but we're going to be jumping around a little bit. We're going to, we're going to spend most of the session looking at this section of Mark 14, but we're, we're actually going to spend the first section uh, maybe the first like, 15 or 20 minutes looking back at a sort of passage from Exodus, um, which really puts this whole passage in Mark 14 into, into context. Um, and so um, my hope tonight is that um, tonight you might see something new from this text. This, this is um, more commonly often referred to as the Last Supper. I'm sure if any of you have read through the Gospels before, you, you would have come across it, you might have been taught on it. Um, it's become it's famous in sort of you know, Renaissance painting as well as um, sort of many, many other cultural references. Um, and, but I really hope that, you gain, that we all gain some deeper significance um, of what could be described as the most meaningful meal ever eaten. Um, and tonight I'm going to split this session into three parts, which you'll um, see on the, the handout that were on your, on your seats. Um, and so we're going to look first at the past, uh, which is the Passover. That's really where this story comes into its context. Um, and then we're going to look at the present. Um, that's Jesus' current situation. He's in Jerusalem. He's heading to the cross. Um, and he's, a, he's about to be arrested, to be put to death, and, he's, and resurrected. And then we're going to fi finish by looking into the future. Um, we're going to be looking at Jesus, um, how, he, how he, he points towards the kingdom of God coming in all its fullness um, on the day that he returns for the second time. Um, but first, um, we're going to look at the past. So, this session's been helpfully called The Feast, by, which was Keller's idea. So. 
Okay. Um, so we're going to uh, read um, this first section um, quickly. Um, so we're looking at, uh, yeah, this is Mark 14. Um, we're going to start reading at verse 12. I'm just going to read this first section up to verse 16, if you want to follow along. So uh, Mark 12. Sorry, Mark 14, verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you there. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. So the context in which this story lands is that of the Festival of the Unleavened Bread, um, which is not a festival that we commonly commemorate in um, 21st century Britain, um, but it was a week-long festival, and its most famous ritual as part of this festival was the celebrating the Passover. And, but what is the Passover? Well, the story of the um, Passover comes from, um, comes from Exodus, chapter 11 and 12, which we're going to have a chance to look back to now. Um, and it's the story of the final plague of Egypt. Um, so again, I ho hopefully most of you are familiar with um, the plague of Egypt. This is uh, Moses in Egypt when the Israelites were enslaved there. And God sends a series of plagues, kind of becoming increasingly um, wrathful, uh, which ends with the final plague, um, which is going to be the, the um, sort of death of the firstborn sons of Egypt. Um, but in this story, we, we see God, and he offers mercy to the Israelites. They are enslaved in Egypt, um, but he offers them mercy through the form of a substitutionary sacrifice, which is a, a big phrase, but hopefully we'll have a chance to unpack that. Um, and it's a substitute that was offered in the form of a lamb to protect the Israelites while the wrathful justice was shown to their Egyptian masters. And this became the first Passover. And so each, uh, each Israelite family was ordered to kill a lamb and paint the, um, the doorposts of their house in, in blood. And that would protect them um, when this when this um, plague came. And after this day, it was celebrated annually um, from that point forward, and that's how we arrived in Jerusalem. Um, so Keller writes, Keller writes this. He writes, uh, I don't have this written down. I'm just going to read it. Uh, Keller writes, for the ancient Jews, and still for Jews today, Passover was an annual meal that commemorated a defining moment in the history of Israel. More than a millennium before the time of Jesus, the Israelites had been enslaved to Egypt's pharaoh, trapped in miserable bondage, and after sending many plagues to Egypt to loosen the Pharaoh's oppressive grip on Israel, one night God sent the final plague. In every home in Egypt, of Jews and Egyptians alike, someone would die under the wrath of justice. The only way for your family to escape was to put your faith in God's sacrificial provision. Namely, you had to slay a lamb and put the blood on the doors as a sign of your faith in God. In every home that, that night, there would either be a dead child or a dead lamb. When justice came down, either it fell on your family, or you took shelter under the blood of the lamb. If you did accept this shelter, then death passed over you, and you were saved. That is why it's called the Passover. You were saved only on the basis of faith in a substitutionary sacrifice. That was very worthy, but I hope it gave you some context into what we're going to look at next. Um, so we got, I've got a couple of questions um, on, the, on the handout, um, and we're going to have a chance to, I'm not really going to give any more sort of context to that, 
Um, but I'm going to hope that now, if we could all turn back um, to Exodus 12, if you've got a Bible, um, then we're going to spend maybe like 10 minutes or so, and I'm not really going to leave this, this part of the session. I hope that you guys have a chance to, in, in smaller groups, if you can break into sort of two or three people around you, um, introduce yourself if you haven't met before, say hello, be friendly. Um, but if you, and we're going to have a chance to, I encourage you maybe just to read maybe, maybe chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 12, or perhaps at least the first half. Um, and I've got three questions which I hope that we can have a chance to think about in, in the group that we're in. Um, and this is going to really shape the, the second bit of this, this session. Um, so the three questions are, what was the covenant, which is a fancy word for contract, um, put in place between God and the Israelites on the night of the original Passover? So sort of what happened in the first, in the first round of the Passover. And the second question is, what does the story of the Passover say about the character of God? Um, that's a big question. You could probably write a PhD thesis on that question. So um, like, I'm just, I don't, don't worry if it, I, I, you'll probably think some things that make you a bit uncomfortable, but I said, when I was trying to answer that question, I definitely wasn't like, thrilled by all the answers I came up with. Um, but I trust that um, there is some good stuff to learn in there. And the third question is, why did the Jewish people continue to celebrate the Passover? Um, I've given you some sort of verses to sort of guide, guide, the, guide the chat, but um, Exodus 12 is where we're going. Um, so yeah, do you want to grab, grab some people around you, work out some groups? I encourage you maybe to just read the, Exodus 12, maybe the first half at least. If you want to keep going, feel free. Um, it's all good stuff. So, cool. <laughs> All right, we'll bring, we'll bring it back in and carry on. I hope, um, I hope that was a useful time. Um, sorry, to but, sorry to be butting into your conversations. I hope that was useful. Um, I hope that that conversation continues. Please don't, if you feel like you want to talk about this more, please obviously continue this, this afterwards. I'd be happy to talk to any of you guys, any of you about it. And um, you know, this is, these are not easy questions. This, we, didn't, we didn't come here to give you, I don't know, I didn't come here to give you questions you don't know the answer to already, so. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the answers to some of these questions, so um, it's, good to, it's good to discuss, it's good to keep reading, um, think about these things. So, so the Israelites, um, they knew that the Lord, they knew the Lord to be just, um, and that was sort of a defining principle of, of the Old Testament law. Um, it was sort of, if, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. Um, that, was how, that was how it worked. And they knew that, as such, um, any of their wrongdoing, which we would you know, commonly refer to as sin in, in our culture, um, that would have to be paid for. Um, an animal sacrifice, uh, it was commonplace in the Jewish cultural identity of the time, and it made up, again, part of the Old Testament law, and it formed a covenant between the Israelites and God. And this sort of presents itself most clearly when, at certain times of year, the priests would sacrifice animals as an offering to the Lord, an acknowledgement that their own simple desires led to death, which must be atoned for, that's the sort of technical term that's used um, in the law. And, and that's for if the people are to live, they needed to be atoned for. And hence the need for something to die in their place. It was sort of, if, if, you're, if you're destined to death, but you want to live, then something else must die in your place. Um, if you want to delve into that more, then I, can, I encourage you to go and read Leviticus 16. Um, that's where the Day of Atonement is described, which is sort of what I just referenced. Um, it sort of makes up a portion of the Old Testament law where um, the high priest would go and sacrifice an animal to, to God. Um, um, so Jesus up until this point in the journey, so back, flicking back to, to Mark 14 now and the, the text that we arrived at at the start, um, he, up, up until this point in Mark's Gospels, we've had, we've had 14 chapters of Jesus going around teaching and going around Nazareth, Galilee with his disciples, um, doing miracles, teaching about the kingdom of God. Um, but throughout, this, throughout the story, 
Um, he's been regularly revealing parts of his mission to his disciples, just drip feeding them, um, never quite revealing the whole picture. And so in Mark um, chapter 10, verse 45, so in the, in, on, it's on the screen, um, the, it, the words say, and this is Jesus speaking, for even the Son of Man, and that's the, the sort of phrase he often used to describe himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this was in, this is four chapters back, and this is him talking to his disciples. And so Jesus, through this meal, and through his, his talking to the disciples during the Passover meal, he's revealing the next part of his mission. Um, Keller writes this, he says, just as the first Passover was observed the night before God redeemed the Israelites from slavery through the blood of the lambs, this Passover meal was eaten the night before God redeemed the world from sin and death through the blood of Jesus. Um, so now we're going to jump. So we, with, that, with that in mind, with that context having been set, this is where we, this is where we arrive. We're in the Passover, they're at the meal. Um, we're going to move into, into the present. This is, this is the here and now. Um, so these are, this, this has been helpfully titled the main course because we're, we have, we're having a meal. Um, and so uh, we're now going to, I'm just going to reread, I'm going to read um, Mark 14, and we're going to just jump a couple of verses um, and then start at verse 22. And I'm just going to read these three verses. So it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. They all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Um, so the Passover meal, um, which some of you might be aware, uh, this was new to me, it was extremely well rehearsed. Um, some of you might have traditions around Christmas or Easter now. Uh, I know I do, my family has a very sort of well rehearsed structure. We all sit in the same places, we eat the same food. It's all very orderly. Um, and so the, the Passover meal was extremely well rehearsed. And it would have the presider, um, the sort of most important person in the room, in this case Jesus, um, he would recite sections of the Old Testament law at various points, during, up before, and after the meal. And, but however, in these verses, so after, after dinner, he goes completely off script. And he begins talking of his own body and blood being part of this new covenant. Um, but what is, this, what is this new covenant? And why does he talk about his body and blood and they're eating bread and drinking wine? So what does it, what does it all mean for us? Perfect sacrifice forgiveness of all sins. Amen, brother. All right. <laughs> Without wanting to give the game too much. So we're going to look back just at these two verses. So um, two references just to shape the, the next bit of the discussion. Um, so these verses are from John 1 um, and then Isaiah 53. So in John 1, um, John, uh, John the the writer writes about John the Baptist, and this is John the Baptist saying, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Lamb, the use of the word Lamb is symbolic for John because it looks back at this section from Isaiah. So in Isaiah 53, um, the prophet Isaiah, this is written like six or 700 years before Jesus was on the earth, and he writes about this Lamb. Um, and Isaiah writes, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, and that's another word for sin, of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, for he bore the sin of many. So John the Baptist here is himself referring to this prophecy from Isaiah and of Jesus being born um, and coming as the lamb of the world, lamb to, be the, um, to die for the sin of the world. 
And so Keller writes this. He writes, when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood poured out, he means I'm the one that Isaiah and John spoke about. This is Jesus saying, I am the Lamb of God to which all the other lambs pointed. The Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was this final Lamb. Okay, so we're going to um, break into small groups again, having heard of that. Um, and I've got these, these three questions for you, um, which I hope you'll find some answers to in Mark 14 and in the other um, verses that I shared. Um, so there are three questions. Again, they're, they're, meat, they're meaty questions. They're not like, you know, there's no, one, there's no sort of one-sentence answers to these. They're, they're, they're tough, but I hope we can have a chance to discuss them now. Uh, so the first one is, what do you understand this new covenant to be? Like, what is it? What it's all about? Um, and then the second question is, why is Jesus described as the Lamb of God? And how is it similar to the Lamb of Passover? What similarities are there? And the third question is, why is Jesus dying like the Lamb of Passover? Good news to the world. Why is it good news? All right, you've got seven minutes. <laughs> good luck. Good luck. <laughs> chance to think about those questions, they're, they're big questions again. Um, I, said to, I said to these guys over here, they, they, they thought the, question, the first question was too big. It was too, too big a question to tackle. Um, I guess I said to them that maybe try and think about how you'd explain it to a child. How would you, how would you explain it to a small child who you think? <laughs> but it's something, it's something to think about. These, these, when, you get, when you get presented with these, these huge questions, you're like, wow, I could talk about these, I could think about these for, for years. Um, like, try and, try and sort of boil it down. Like, what, what are the key things? What are, what are the, real, the real things that you could just say to a child and they would understand um, in, in simple language. It's not about using fancy language, it's not about using big words. Um, it's about like speaking to the heart and getting, getting, getting grips with the, the your core of it. Um, so, for, so for me, this, this new covenant, um, it's, this, it's the, final, the final redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is, that is what the new covenant represents. And he came to earth to die. That was, that was his mission and that's what he's revealed to us um, to this point in Mark. He came to die in the place of the whole of humanity, just as the lambs were killed in place of the Israelites on that first Passover. And he paid the price for sin for all of us so that we all may gain eternal life in the kingdom of God. So no longer are we bound by the law, the Old Testament law, by the, right, the rituals of animal sacrifice, but we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and in fa through faith in him, um, we can be saved. And he became the, the final lamb. Um, he became... He became the final lamb to be slain, and by his blood, we have been saved. That is, that is the good news. And this, this new covenant, it paved the way for Gentiles, for the non-Jews, for the first time to, to have access to enter into the kingdom of God. And that is why it's good news for the whole world. That is, that is, that is the premise of the gospel, um, and that is why we can honestly say with, with wholeheartedness that, that the gospel message is for everyone. Um, so we're going to move on to... The last course could be called dessert, but <laughs> last course um, it is. And so we're just going to read this. I'm just going to read that final, that final verse from from our passage again. Um, it says, "It says, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God." So these are Jesus's final words at this meal, and he points forward to a future kingdom. Uh, when the new creation shall be revealed in all its fullness. And 
he gives his disciples hope. He gives, he gives them a hope that his death, his impending death, however painful for them, is not the end, but the beginning of a much, much, much more beautiful story that ends with the new creation arriving and the perfect kingdom of God as described. So Jesus at this point has spoken, he's spoken repeatedly to his disciples about his impending death. That, that, there is no doubt about that. But they had often failed to see the wood between the, before, like, in the trees. What's the phrase? The wood, the wood between the trees. Thank you. They, they failed to see it. They failed to notice that it had a purpose, that it was, there was a reason for it. He was going to die for a reason, that he was dying in order that they might be free to enter into the kingdom of God as sons and daughters of the Most High. That is, that is the good news. That's why we're here. That's what we're celebrating tonight. And I'm reminded of the, the final verse um, from a famous uh, the song we sing um, in the main church called Cornerstone, which I'm sh- I'm, some of you will recognise, some of you might not. Uh, but I'm going to just read that, the final, uh, the final verse from that. It says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, stand before the throne. And this, this is the future that Jesus' death accomplishes. That it's a future where you and I can stand faultless before the throne of God. We're going to be dressed in white robes that Jesus gave to each of us on the cross and through his death. That is the blood and the body that he, reads, that he writes about in these verses. That is what he means. And that's how painful and how important this is to God. And this is the good news of the gospel of Christ, which we all celebrate. Amen? Amen. 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 Um, so Keller writes, writes these words, which I found really um, meaningful when I read them. And um, I, hope that, I hope that they say something to you as well. Um, I hope you can do that, but maybe if you can't. I'm going to read them anyway. Um, but Keller writes this. He says, imagine you were in Egypt just after the first Passover. If you stopped Israelites in those days and said, who are you and what is happening here? They would say, I was a slave under a sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and I escaped that bondage. And now God lives in our midst and we are following him to the promised land. I really like those words. For me, they spoke exactly of my story. Um, they spoke exactly of what I mean, I, the gospel means to me um, and, how I, and how I have seen myself and how I view Jesus' death. And I want to ask, is this your story? Is this how you feel? If, if we are to truly understand Jesus' journey to the cross that we're going to look at in the next few weeks and appreciate it for what it, for what it is, we have to be prepared to accept that we were all slaves to sin. And Paul writes in Romans that the wages of sin are death. So we are in need of saving. But the good news is that through Jesus' blood on the cross, we've entered into a new covenant, a new contract. And we can now live with God's spirit in our midst, heading for the hope of the new creation to come. That's the last thing I'm going to say this evening. Um, I've got three more questions based on the last course, which I'm going to ask you to think about now. They're on the back of the sheet. Um, and that will, help, that will help me, number one, because why wouldn't they all be number one? 
Um, but the three questions are, what are the similarities between your story and the Israelite story? This might be very personal to you. I encourage you maybe just to workshop things down. If you're happy to share with the people around you, please do. Um, maybe, that maybe those words resonated with you. I'm actually probably going to put them back up because um, you've got the question on the sheet. But the second question is, Jesus talks of drinking new wine in the kingdom, but what are you looking forward to about heaven? Is there anything, you, anything in the Bible that you've read that you're particularly excited about or um, particularly looking forward to? And my third question is, how can we live lives more focused on the future glory of heaven? And that's a question that I encourage you to discuss, but really I hope that actually that's the question that you'll leave here tonight with, um, that you can go and dwell on for the next seven days, that you can think about, and then maybe, maybe why not come back next week and tell the person who you were meeting with and, um, and talk about how, what, what are the things that you, how can we live practically more lives focused on the, on the, on the future glory of heaven?